Good morning, home church. We could all have our seats. We have some announcements before we get started. You guys are all so good at meeting and greeting, and so am I, which is why I forgot to come up here. So welcome to home church. We love having you here today. We do have some announcements. Not sure if you guys noticed, but we have some new fall drinks in the cafe. They are so good. I have tried every single one of them. So if you would like fall drinks, go get one of those today. They are delicious. Um, caramel brulee, pumpkin pie chai, and buttery cinnamon toast, just to name a few of the deliciousness that you can get from Home Cafe. Next up is our Joy Potluck, October 22nd, after second service in the gym. Please bring a dish to share. We love having everyone come together and making sure everyone leaves full and happy. And let's see, another thing where we involve food, men's breakfast on October 28th at Black Bear Diner in Sparks at 8 a.m. Please let Ron Sherwin know if you are able to make it so that he can give the restaurant an accurate head count. And last but not least, Christmas is coming sooner than we think. We are having our Polar Express A Ticket Home Christmas Eve play again for the second and final time. So please, if you are interested in acting or helping out in any way, sign up at the welcome counter. We will be having our first meeting um, next Sunday after second service here in the sanctuary. So please be ready for that. And one more announcement from Mr. Ron Sherwood. I'm old. <laughs> um, as most of you know, like I said, I'm going to lean. As most of you know, um, October is Pastor Appreciation Month. So, how and when did Pastor Appreciation Month begin? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I did a little research, and this is what I found. Regardless of where you fall on the introvert-extrovert scale, regardless of your role in the church, and regardless of how much you think your pastor likes you or doesn't like you, you can and should appreciate your pastor. We can easily and far too often take our pastors for granted. We far too often forget that they are human and have a life family, and other responsibilities they have throughout the week. We can easily think that a pastor is just there to serve us and deliver a sermon that we want to hear, and if either of those doesn't go the way we want it to, we forget that our pastor is also pastoring an entire congregation. If we are not careful, we can fall victim to the spirit of entitlement where it becomes all about us. While this isn't always the case, and it may not be this extreme, it is something we all need to keep in consideration and remember that even if one person's life is changed by the pastor's message, then isn't that what it's all about? Pastor Appreciation Day started as Clergy Appreciation Day. The idea of showing appreciation to your clergy, pastors, or leaders is very biblical and can be traced 
all the way back to Paul's New Testament letters. Paul mentions this idea in a number of different letters that he writes to the various churches. Clergy Appreciation Day or Pastors Appreciation Day was first commercialized in the early 1990s, first by Hallmark Cards in 1992, and then Focus on the Family, who many of us are, are familiar with, um, led the charge in 1994 by making it a point to remind congregations to make the month of October special for their pastor. Why appreciation, pastor appreciation is so important? Obey your leaders and do what they say. They are watching over you, and they must answer to God. So don't make them sad as they do their work. Make them happy. Otherwise, they won't be able to, to help you at all. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Our leaders are entrusted to watch over the entire congregation, small group, family group, etc. I'm sorry. That, uh, what I said before was the Hebrews. Whether it be time, money, meals, encouragement, leaders love to lend a hand. And I, we all know this from Carlos especially. It's important to notice everything that your pastor does for the congregation. But what most people don't realize is that they are not given back to very often. They easily slip through the cracks, and we assume that they are doing fine and they are getting their needs met. If everyone had this mentality, then no one would be giving back to their pastor. That is why this time of year is so most important. Remember, our congregation outnumbers leadership. Imagine if everyone did their part and served consistently. At the end of the day, our pastor is still a part of the body of Christ, just like us, and they should be treated in the same way we treat our other brothers and sisters. This is the one time during the year where we are reminded to consider our pastor, think specifically about their needs, and how you can personally, or as a congregation, encourage them and your family. And let's please do that this month especially. Thank you, Ron. Now we're going to go into our time of offering. Father, we just thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for our church. We thank you for our church family. We thank you for our pastor. We thank you for all that you are doing here, and we give you all the praise and glory. We ask that you would bless this offering, bless the gift, the giver, and everything that you have planned for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's, let's give this morning. Let's stand to our feet. Worship the Creator with our tithe and offerings, with our voices this morning. What a fellowship, oh, I'm leaning, I'm leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. I'm leaning, yes, I'm leaning.
was ready to worship Jesus. Amen. Yeah. been to Jesus for the cleansing power? <laughs> Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the
the blood of the Lamb. All my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God all my life. All my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so.
friends, and our sister and brother pray this morning. Ask the Lord to be in this place. Hallelujah. blessings. We are so thankful for your grace. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to show grace to our lost loved ones. Bring them into the fold, we pray. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for everyone who's here this morning to worship the living Christ. And we thank you for all of those watching online as well, Lord that they might feel your presence in their midst. Thank you for our pastor. Thank you for his love for you and for all of us. And Lord, go before him, go behind him, come through him as he delivers the message that the Holy Spirit has given to him. We welcome him and we welcome you. In Jesus' name, amen. Padre nuestro, amigo nuestro, gracias Señor por tu fidelidad, por tu bondad, gracias por tu presencia en esta mañana en nuestra congregación con la familia Nazarena, es siempre motivo de gozo Señor, tenerte, alabarte Señor y decirte que nuestro corazón está dichoso en esta mañana al recibir el mensaje, el, la palabra que tienes puesta en el corazón de nuestro guía y nuestro líder, Pastor Carlos, Señor. Que el Espíritu Santo toque nuestros corazones y salgamos gozosos en esta mañana. En el nombre de Jesús oramos. Amén. I know each and every one of us have had bad days, difficult times. And that's, that's not an understatement. For some it could be, but I just want to say this morning, can we never forget, never forget God's goodness and his love for us. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you've been good to me. With our breath, may we be able to sing of the goodness of God. Let's sing out that chorus one more time, church. Sing with me. All my life. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every pray one more time this morning. Bow your heads with me, church. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here in this place, here to worship you, to hear from you, to honor you. 
to give this day to you. You give us seven days and you ask for one, Lord. Well, not only today we give you this day, but we give you every day of our life, Heavenly Father. Father, I also want to lift up our brothers and sisters in Israel right now, those who are um, on the other side of this uh, world. God, I pray you have mercy on them. Bring them from distress to comfort this morning, from darkness to light. Some could say from slavery back to redemption. Soon, God, and very soon. God, this reminds me, Lord, of your word. We are in the last days. You are coming quickly, Lord. You are coming soon. So I pray this morning you would awaken every heart in this place. Like I prayed earlier, Lord, we cast out the spirit of laziness, the slothful spirit, Lord. I pray you would awaken our hearts this morning. May we receive your word with gladness in our hearts, Lord. Time is running out, Lord. Open our eyes to what we need to see this morning. Encourage every one of us. May we leave here changed and blessed. The blood of Jesus Christ over your service over your church, over your children. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, amen and amen. Amen. You may be seated morning. You may be seated this morning. Thank you. Thank you, uh, worship team. So appreciate you this morning. Appreciate your faithfulness and love. Amen. Hallelujah. We're uh, starting a series this morning uh, titled Ruth. Somebody say Ruth. So blessed this morning to uh, be with you as uh, we embark on a new journey uh, here in the fall. Ruth is around a time um, when the world was going crazy. Uh, sounds pretty familiar. Uh, uh, it, it, at times, it didn't seem like God was working things out, but really, he was, God was there the whole entire time. Even though, it, when you read the book of Ruth, you don't, you don't see God speaking to people directly, but God's hands are in it all. So I pray we draw from this well. Um, one of the purposes of Ruth is to show God's people he's preparing um, he's preparing uh, for those people to be uh, to preparing them to have kings. And one of the kings we'll find out later, obviously an earthly king and a, and a, and a heavenly king. Can somebody say amen? Uh, so Ruth 1, let's go ahead and let's get right into it. Ruth 1, it reads right here. Now it came to pass in the days when judges ruled. Who ruled? Did God rule? Did kings rule? Who ruled the world? Judges ruled that there was a what? Famine in the land. There was a famine in the land. A certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion, uh, of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was, and they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Mahlon and Chilion also died. So the women survived her two sons and her husband. The story of Ruth is actually happening in the day of Judges when people did what was right in their own eyes. People didn't do what was right in God's eyes. They did what was right in their... They did what was right in their... They did what was right in their... 
I'm going to say it one more time. They did what was right in their I want us to get this. They did what was right in their own eyes. That can be kind of scary. Because what's right to me might not be right for you. And vice versa. They did what was right in their own eyes. Not in God's eyes. And so we can, we can speculate and say this was during a, a time in the book of Judges. Uh, does anyone know when, what time? Roughly. I mean, if you really care. Uh, some say Gideon's time. That was a, a very uh, close time. Um, and we know this because there was another man named Boaz. We'll get into uh, Boaz later. Um, anyone know who Boaz's mother was? I think that was the quizzing queen. <laughs> or the quizzing queen out here. Wait, man. She gets an award. Uh, one of you kids, give her your, uh, yeah. Amen. Rahab. Somebody say Rahab. And we see, we see in the, math, the genealogy of Jesus where Rahab, okay, uh, we see Rahab in the er, uh, Jericho, the early conquest, when the Israelites were going to the promised land, and uh, they were going to a place called the, the a place of milk and honey, amen? And so, uh, but because of this information, uh, we can, we can kind of speculate and know this is where Boaz, um, it, it was around the time of Judges. Uh, but I say that to say this, the book of Judges was a bad time. It was a horrible time. Um, it's been said again through the commentary, everyone was doing right in their own eyes. So when we read the book of Ruth, she's going to stick out. She's going to stand out like a rose in the middle of a desert. Amen. Rose is going is to stick out like a, like a fresh drink of water um, in a moral swamp. Sorry, brother, I'll slow down. We've got our interpreter uh, back there. It's going to encourage us this morning to know even in crazy times, God is still moving. God is still raising up young people in this place. Young men, young women. May we have the same encouragement today. We see things getting worse, and God is still moving, even when it doesn't seem like it. So the judges rule during this time, which helps me explain the second part of verse 1. A man left Bethlehem during a, thank you, during a famine and went across the Jordan River in the opposite direction. What do we know about God and his relationship with people when it comes to famines? What do we know about God and his relationship to people when it comes about, when it, when it, about famines? Famines normally was a time where God was disciplining his children. We see where the Israelites were only supposed to be traveling a few days and were disobeying God and they end up going in circles for 40 years and there was a famine in the land. God's disciplining them, not giving them a blessing because of their wickedness. Um, and so during Ruth's time, the judges' rebellion, there was wickedness. But even if this wasn't God withholding a blessing, a man from Bethlehem chooses this, and it blows my mind because it's in line with the commentary. Everybody was doing right in, his, in their own eyes. So this man in his own eyes was doing something right. So he picks up his family, and he goes across the Jordan River to Moab. Is it wrong to move locations? Is it wrong to move? No. But over and over again, we see through the word of God, when God's people go where they're not supposed to be, it never turns out right for them. But we see in the word of God a story after story where God tells people to get up and go. He tells, uh, he tells um, 
Jacob to go see his son, um, Joseph, right? And, and Jacob's hesitant. He's like, I'm not sure if I want to. And God said, it's okay, go. And he goes and everything works out. God tells Abraham to go to the land of Canaan. And Abraham goes. But we see God has to give permission. Somebody say permission. Permission. And we don't see any permission right here. Nothing about it. God, this man chooses to go to Moab. We see a man who goes off his own wisdom. But it's even deeper than that because a famine was supposed to bring people back to God. Not only does this not bring this man back to God, he leaves Bethlehem in the opposite direction. Causes more problems for his family. You remember when Abraham went down to Egypt in Genesis, there was a what in the land? A famine in the land. He chooses to go south and uh, throws his wife under the bus. God never told him to go down there. He goes down there and he tells his wife, you're beautiful. She goes, thank you. He goes, but uh, this guy's going to kill me, so you need to say I'm your brother. And you can go into that story, but later on in that story, he ends up bringing somebody back with him from there. We speculate from Egypt. Her name was Rahab, or no, her name was Hagar, and we know what happened there. We're still dealing with that today. It's about to go down for this man. Why did he want to go? To provide. He had good intentions. But even good intentions can lead you the wrong way. He had a desire to provide for his family. To avoid discomfort. Nothing wrong with that. Even death, which reminds me, discomfort and seasons of life have caused a lot of professed Christians to make decisions that aren't wise, detours to solve an issue in their life. When we profess to know God and we put God on the back burner or do something he never told us to do, it never turns out the way we planned. I looked up Elimelech's name. Does anyone know what it means, Elimelech? It means my God is king. That's his name. My God is king. So there's another problem I see besides everyone was doing right in their own eyes. There was another problem. There was no king in Israel. And that's what we get right here. The book of Judges is a time when there was no kings, so this is what they inherit. They inherit crazy times. But we have a man here whose name, my God is king. Pretty awesome. Every time they talked about this man, they were saying, hey, that's the guy, his God is king. That's the man, his God is king. So he, his name is God is king, but really at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you profess to know him or really if you reject him, if you're not making him king, it doesn't matter. It's crazy because Bethlehem is known as what? Bethlehem is known as what? That's right. Another star for you. House of bread. He leaves the, you know, it's a sad day when you live in a town called House of Bread and there's no bread in the house. But a little side note, I thought it was kind of cool as I was thinking about that. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The bread of life came to the house of bread. And there's another, anyways, stay on track, Carl, stay on track. Look at end of verse 2 right here, end of verse 2. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Verse 1, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. 
a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. One translation says sojourn. Someone say sojourn. That's the more accurate translation, which means traveling through. They just went to travel through. They weren't supposed to stay there in Moab for how many years? Ten years. They were just supposed to be there for a little bit to escape a season. But what happens is they go to a place called Moab. It, this place doesn't have good history with the people of Israel. How did Moab start? Don't say it, Cherie, please. <laughs> How did Moab start? Lot had sex with his daughter. And then here you cut the Moabites, right here. Moabites. Moab, Moab tried to curse Israel. They didn't succeed. Then they hurt the men of Israel. This is not a place you want to be as a faithful servant of God, taking your family to Moab. I say that to say this because sometimes we make detours in our life to escape the perfect will of God and we'll end up staying there in a place longer than we thought we would. But what's scary to me is they found comfort in Moab. They were okay with living in Moab. They liked Moab. So teenager, teenager, preteen. If you're a teenager, I want you to say teenager. Oh, no, it's teenagers. You need to wake up. Say teenager. Preteens, you need to say preteen. I'm talking to you. This world at time may seem comfortable. It may seem okay. You might go to a spot and you say, you know, Pastor Carlos was crazy. This is actually, this is a lot safer than I thought. This man also paints another picture for me, another thing that I see in people at times. His goal was to provide for his family. How I many know providing for your family is a good thing? It's a good thing, good intention. But what this father slash husband did is what I see some do today. He put all his energy and focus and providing for his family in only one way, but neglect all the other ways, like godly ways, like spiritual ways. You might have seen this in your own father and mother. They show you they love you by providing for you, and that's good. We need to provide for our family, but God's also called us to spiritually provide. He does not consider the consequences, the consequences of this move. He doesn't consider how far he's going to be from the temple of God. He doesn't consider the environment he's going to put his children in. He doesn't consider the risk of not having a spiritual support system. All he knows is he's got a better job. But not just somewhere, he goes to Moab. So a challenge to the mothers, to the fathers, to the older brother and sister, God has called you more than getting a paycheck. God has called you more than getting a paycheck. Amen. Providing for your family is good, but that's only one way. Do not neglect what he neglects, and he finds out the hard way. Verse 3, then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of women of Moab. Young ladies, let's not, young ladies, let's not talk right now, please. So um, they marry Moabite women. The reason why I see this is wrong is because they, the Moabites worship false gods. And how do you know all throughout the word of God, God tells us not to be unequally yoked. He warns his children not to, not to associate with unbelievers. Can somebody say amen? amen? It affects them forever. 
So it goes from God will understand, we move, to now they're marrying Moabite women. But I got to be honest with you, I'm not so hard on these two boys because they were probably just imitating the relaxed attitude of their father when it came to the will of God. Because all they saw was someone in their life who wasn't too concerned about the commandments of God. So they weren't concerned about it, and they marry Moabite women. Verse 5, Then both Malon and Chilion also died, so the women survived her two sons and her husband. So why did they leave again? Why did they go to the land of Moab? So they wouldn't die? So they would survive a famine? So they would be safe? So they would live longer? Tells me when we, when we do something that God never told us to do, it will always disappoint. Now we could say they would have died in Israel. Well, there was a famine in Israel. They would have passed away there too. Yeah, maybe. But I would rather suffer knowing I'm in the will of God than suffer outside of his will. The point is they're not supposed to be there. So now we're going to get into the book of Ruth. And yes, I, I, I want to get into the romantic part, okay? But that's going to be later. There's a romantic part in here. But we can't ignore chapter 1. Before we get into chapter 1, I want us to kind of close our eyes right now. Close our eyes right now. I want us to look right now. Right now. Just, just kind of look at your own life. The mistakes we've made. Um, things that we're still dealing with today because of decisions we've made. But what's amazing is we go into chapter 1, there's one word that I see repeated every now and then, and that's the word return. Somebody say return. Return. Naomi makes a decision to return. Let's read right now, verse 6. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. That she might what? That she might from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So imagine this. Here's a, she's a widow. She's all dressed in black. Uh, horrible time to be a widow, by the way. Her sons aren't there to give her descendants. I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but back then this was a very big thing. Her sons weren't there to give her descendants. The name is over. And there's people talking about this God that she used to serve. Talk about an encouragement, but at the same time not because she wasn't there to receive it. I want to I just say something to somebody out here, and I don't want to look at somebody because I don't want you to, but there's someone here you, you feel like giving up. You feel like quitting. You, 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 uh, you feel like throwing in the towel. Let me tell you, sometimes it's those times right there when you hold on, that's when God shows up. It reminds me of Thomas. When Thomas wasn't there, that, when, that, when Jesus first came, he missed out on a blessing. So she hears about this, but she's not there to receive this blessing. But what's amazing is that she makes a choice to turn back to God, even though she walked away. She followed her husband. Some could say, too, that she could have maybe, you know, helped her husband not make that decision. But, you know, even you know, what blesses me is even through the craziness, God, if we're willing, will always turn the bad out for his good. And so this is amazing right here. Verse 7, therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. 
the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted their voices and wept. So as they're traveling towards the border, as they're, as they're getting ready, all of a sudden she, her daughter-in-law is the, are following her. This is the only person in their life they have left. Picture this. You, you, they're, they're following her, and, and this is the only thing in their life they, they got going for them. And the only thing in their life that they have, that they look up to, turns to them and says, go back, don't follow me. This family thing, uh, it's no more. I got nothing for you. Go find some husbands. And I asked why, because they say that widows back then, I was, once you were a widow, it was kind of like, it was kind of, it was very hard. So you would think she would want the help. She would want the help. She would want them, but she turns them away. Is it because maybe she didn't want people back at home to know that her son's married Moabite women? Because we know the Moabite women weren't allowed to go into the house of God. In Deuteronomy, you can look in Deuteronomy. Um, is it because she, she really just, she loved them or she was trying to show them, tell them the cost? Of what, hey, if you follow me, you got nothing for you. There's nothing for, if you follow me, I, there's, I got nothing for you. What is she trying to say? Verse 10. And they said to her, surely we will return, here's that word, return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Is, is she being sarcastic right here? Is she, is she being funny? Is she, or, you know, is she going, is there, young ladies, is there still sons in my womb? I mean, is, is this a funny moment or is this a serious moment? What, are there still sons in my womb? Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. And then she takes it a step further. If, if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight, and should I also bear sons, would you wait for them? You know, I mean, would you wait for them to, till they're grown? Would you wait 18 years, 20 years? Would you wait? Well, we got an honest, one once said no already. No. Would you wait? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She's telling them that her God has gone out against her. Put yourself in her shoes. I have no idea what's ahead of me. I don't know what kind of security you're going to have. I, I got nothing to insure you. I got, I got there, there's nothing. Go back. And as I was reading this church, I was thinking I get a small little picture of Jesus right here through Naomi. And she don't even realize it. It's more about discipleship than we think right here. This little conversation that Naomi is having is more about God is more about God than about Naomi herself. Jesus does the same thing in the Gospels. You can go to the book of Luke. Let's turn there right now. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Jesus never leaves out the cost. 
when someone is eager to follow him, Jesus always lays out what it's going to be. Three different times in Luke, Luke 9, 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Sometimes you can't get people to say this after a moving sermon, but this, per- this person is so quick to follow Jesus, he makes an altar call for himself. This person right here is quick to follow Jesus. Verse 58, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. What does that mean? What does that mean? Okay. Anybody else? That was good. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Well, what is he saying? Yeah, I'm sorry. He doesn't have a house. I'm homeless. He's saying, I don't have an address. I, I, don't, I don't do regular life. I obey the voice of my father. When he says go, I go. I live by a different standard. Uh, uh, there's a different motivation than the average person to follow me. Under, are you sure you want to follow me? It's not going to be comfortable. Um, uh, the flesh ain't going to like this. It's spontaneous. It's unpredictable. Um, so the first guy heard this, and we didn't hear he dropped his net and followed Jesus. We didn't hear anything about him at all. You know, the disciples were kind of bummed. Oh, I knew that guy. Come on, Jesus. You could have been a little easy on him. You could have told him the perks that you, you turned water into wine. <laughs> Jesus. And then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now, if there's a good excuse, there's one right there. A good son needing to bury his father. You can see the disciples right there with Jesus going, Lord, yeah, no, that, that, you, could, you can see, he, he's, telling, he's telling Jesus, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go bury my father. And the disciples are standing behind Jesus, they're like, yeah, no, for sure, yeah. And then Jesus says right here, let the dead bury the dead, but you go preach the kingdom of God. You can see the disciples are like, just let the guy go bury his dad. What? What's the big deal? But what's this man really saying? Some people say it in inheritance. Maybe he's, but, but again, what, we know they received inheritance, but forget the inheritance. He just, he wants to bury his father. He wants to have a funeral. Notice the first man's response is very quick. And this guy, he wants to delay. He wants more time. Let me finish my school. Let me finish my business. Let me finish this first, and then I'll fully surrender to you. I can, once I do this, then you can have access to my bank account. Let me do this first. Is there anything wrong with burying your father? No. no, but what's Jesus saying? You have elevated worldly priority over kingdom priority. You have put importance of this world over my, so you are not worthy to follow me. So again, we have people who are very quick to follow Jesus. You'll find them at conferences and jailhouse repentance and people who are delaying. Both are unworthy. But then there's a third person. I think this one's the hardest. As I was 
as I was searching this one, verse 61, and another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go bid them farewell who are at my house. So not waiting for his dad to die, he just wants to say goodbye and come back. You know, the disciples by now, they're like, Lord, surely this is okay. Man, you talk about you want to reach the world, and we've, you're making it harder for people. He just wanted to bury his father. This guy just wants to say goodbye. Surely this is okay, right, Lord? Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus knew what was in this man's heart. He was so tied up and connected with his family and friends. Maybe, just maybe, a little visitation with his family would have convinced him not to go with Jesus. Or maybe he would have just said goodbye and would have came to Jesus, but Jesus knew his heart was still so connected with his family and friends that at any point, any time given, he would have made it to say, he would have been quick to say, you know what, my hands are on the plow, and he would have been looking back. Naomi says, you won't have husbands if you come with me. You're not going to have a future if you come with me. No one will probably marry you. Verse 14, then they lifted their voices and wept. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah in this moment said, man, you're right. I didn't think about that. She wept. She loved Naomi. But when it came down to it, Orpah said, Deuce. That's, anyways. There's a lot of people who can't fully surrender once they realize their future is not certain with Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, your future with Jesus is more than safe. Matter of fact, if you follow Jesus, your future with Jesus is better than anything you could have ever imagined. It's better than your plans. But sometimes we get so caught up in what we want, what we need, we can't imagine Jesus delaying the wedding. We can't imagine Jesus calling us out of our profession. We can't imagine Jesus. It scares people. So they might love him, they might admire him, they might speak well of him, but they will never, they won't surrender fully to him. So if moving forward with you and your God is no guarantee for security and a husband, I love you, but uh, Orpah says, adios, hasta luego, nice to meet you, nice to, hey. But Ruth, Ruth, Ruth clung to her. And when you look at this word clung right here, it's the same word that's used in Genesis when God says man and wife to cling to one another. It's a covenant. It's something special. It's when you've had authority in your life and you all of a sudden you remove yourself from under that authority, whatever that is, and you say, now this is my new authority. I cling to you. Everything else is secondary, third, fourth, fifth. You are number one. Ruth clings to Naomi. But Naomi 
is still not convinced. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Do you imagine this? She's holding on for dear life. You're holding on to your mother-in-law. Holding on for dear life. She clings to her. And her mother-in-law says, look at your sister-in-law. The one, you, the one you're close to. The one that, look, look. And again, we don't know their relationship. We don't know how, we don't know. You know the, but they, they shared a lot in common. They're, and she says, look, go. How, how did that make Ruth feel? What's Ruth thinking right here in this moment? What does Ruth do? We come to the famous scripture that's at weddings. It's in our conference room here at home church. It's the famous scripture. Verse 16, but Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. One of the most beautiful scriptures ever written in the Bible, in my opinion. What catches my attention is she includes God. Ruth, Ruth grew up a Moabite. I'm amazed because Ruth, the only exposure she has to the true God was Naomi, and Naomi's not being the best of a witness right here in this story. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Who, who tells somebody, go back to your gods. I'm going to go to my God. You go back to your gods. Find a husband. Naomi's in a rough spot in her life. Go back to your idols. But I got to wonder if Ruth ever had some conversation, conversations with Naomi's sons about maybe Moses and the law. I don't know. But Ruth is willing to drop everything and everything that she knows and everything that's comfortable to her. She's willing to drop everything and to go when it's uncertain and to cling to Naomi and say, not only you, but your God, the one that you said that did this to you, I want to I serve him. And right here is a, con is a conversion right here we see Ruth doing right here. This powerful woman of God right here. Conversion right here. And what blesses me even more, after losing her father-in-law, after losing her husband, and after hearing her mother, like I said, that it was the Lord who did this, it gives me great hope to remember to tell people about Jesus who have gone through hell and back. Sometimes we can dismiss them. Oh, no, it's those. And for someone who is here who has never surrendered their heart because they've had a tough life, don't ever use that as an excuse. How dare we ever say, I won't follow the true king. I won't because of this, because Ruth didn't do that. She follows him. She clings to him. Verse 18, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Wow. Your mother-in-law stopped speaking to you 
That's, 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 uh, wow. You want to come with me? Even though people are going to hate you? Again, you're not allowed in church. She's willing to take that risk. Verse 19. Now the two of them wait until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. It's sad. She's so consumed with her pain, it affects her identity. It affects who she is. Verse 21, I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? You know, I originally thought that she was bitter against God, but right here she confesses it's, God, it's, it's her fault. She left. She says it right here. I walked away. Now, church, I know this first chapter is not that inspiring. But I cannot skip. I gotta, I gotta keep going. I know this is coming out of the judges, but I want you to see the hope. Verse 22. So Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. I believe if Naomi was really bitter, she wouldn't have came to Bethlehem. She wouldn't have went back. She would have stayed in Moab. But even in that state of rebellion and that wrongdoing, she got a a glimpse of the goodness of God. And she said, I'm coming back, and Ruth comes with her. And what's so amazing is Ruth doesn't say anything negative. Ruth, again, grew up worshiping false gods, blasphemous gods. And Ruth here doesn't say anything negative. But her mother-in-law grew up in church Grew up in the faith, and it's crazy how those sometimes who come from worse backgrounds sometimes have the greatest understanding of who God is. But this woman, Naomi, came from the Bible studies, from the VBSs, from the Awanas. She knew God. She grew up in it, and nothing but negativity is coming out of her mouth. But, Na but, but Ruth... Not one complaint... Naomi is broken. She's, she's broken. I mean, we'll be broken at times. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite is her daughter-in-law, verse 22 again, with her who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So now they're entering into a new season. God is doing a new work. There's provision. And I see it right here that God is also doing something in Naomi's heart. What's happening in the land is now happening in her heart. Who would have thought that God would use a humble, honest woman 
who walked away for 10 years touched the life of a Moabite woman who touched a nation to touching a world. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been good to me. You want to know how merciful God is? Even when Naomi was disobedient, the moment she turned back to God, instantly God started moving in her life. Even when she walked away from God, the moment we, re- we, we choose to return to God, immediately he will show you how merciful he is. And it all came from a decision. A decision. The father, what was his name? What was his name? Elimelech made a choice for his family, almost killed everybody. Naomi made a choice for herself, which touched Ruth. Ruth made a choice. It didn't seem to be great at the time. It didn't didn't seem to be wonderful, but we're going to find out later. It turned out more than great. So this morning, I encourage you to return because not only is God going to accept you, he will bless that decision more than you could ever imagine. Again, don't lose me on this series. It's going, to get, it's going to get better. It's going to get good. I'm excited. I've already read the book of Ruth three, four times now. It's amazing what God's going to do. I couldn't skip over chapter one. We'll be in chapter two next week. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. Let's bow our heads this morning. If you're watching online, I was very blessed to know that we have, we have people, I don't know how many people, maybe one or two, Every now and then from Israel who watch online, people in India watch online, uh, Peru watch online, uh, and I, I'm very blessed, and I pray to God, maybe you're in Israel right now, our hearts go out to you, our hearts go to you right now, in Jesus' name, I don't, if it's one of you or a whole family in your house, our hearts go out to you, we're praying for you, we're going to pray for you.